Well, good morning again. Welcome to worship at Calvary. We are so, so glad that you've joined us this morning, whether you're here in the worship center or you're over in the chapel or all of you at our Minnetonka campus or anyone watching online anywhere else in the world. We're so, so glad that we can worship together. So in the months of January and February, we're doing a sermon series on the New Testament letter to the Colossians. It's a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a specific group of people uh, in what's now modern-day Turkey. And he had some encouragement. He had some warnings. He has a lot to say about how to follow Jesus in our everyday life. And so it applied to this group of people thousands of years ago, but there's still so much good that we can find in it today, so much that we too can apply to our walk and our desire to follow Jesus. And so I'd encourage you each week to bring your Bible with or at least have the Bible app downloaded on your phone or your tablet so that you can walk through scripture with us as we go through this series. And today we're going to start chapter two of the book of Colossians. So again, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you might want to turn there right now. So as a kid, I loved stories about buried treasure. I like the idea of treasure maps, you know, X marks the spot. I like to dream about what it would be like to to find a treasure map. I love to read the story Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. And you might remember the really old Disney movie, which was great. But then there's an even better version. It's the Muppets Treasure Island movie, which is super awesome. And then I love, love, love the movie The Goonies with the whole story of trying to find a treasure. And so as a kid, until I was 11 years old, we lived in Litchfield, Minnesota, which is a little over 60 miles west of here. And the house we lived in was right across the street from a vacant lot. And so one time I had some time on my hands and I thought, you know, I would love to bury a treasure that could be found later. So I grabbed a shovel from our garage. I went and dug a hole in this lot. I brought some random toys with me that I buried and I made this great treasure map. And I thought, okay, we better wait for a while. Well, in the process, I lost the map. The weeds grew up, and I have no idea where those things that I buried are. But I love to think about years later when they developed that vacant lot that maybe excavating, they found some matchbox cars and a He-Man figure and wondered what in the world is going on. But I've always loved the idea of buried treasure. And the reason I bring that up is today, as we get into chapter two of the book of Colossians, Paul is going to take us on a journey to find treasure. Now, I think every person in our world is searching for something. Every person, no matter who they are, is searching for meaning and purpose and significance. They're essentially looking for a buried treasure. And what Paul is going to teach us today is that the incredible treasure that everybody's looking for is ultimately found in Jesus himself. So I want to read the first seven verses of Colossians chapter two, and then what we're going to do is just go verse by verse and see what Paul has for us today. So again, Colossians chapter two, starting with verse one. And Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, 
so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So right off the bat, we see the Apostle Paul has an amazing heart and concern for the church, the large C church, the body of Christ, and for all people who are following Jesus. So while he's specifically writing this letter to a very particular church, again, in now modern-day Turkey, in chapter 2, he also talks about a concern for another church in Laodicea, which is kind of far down the road from the Colossian church. But then he even says all of the other Christians, all of the other Christ followers who he hasn't even met before. So he just has this heart for followers of Christ. And he has these hopes and these dreams for Jesus' followers in every time and every place, which includes us today. Now, Paul is someone who had his life radically changed by a personal encounter with Jesus, and he wants the good news of Jesus and his grace to be spread far and wide, and it's why Paul is known as the greatest missionary in all of history. He had found this treasure in Jesus, and he wants all of the world to know about it and to discover it and to embrace it. Now, we know Paul was a huge believer in the power of prayer. It's every one of his letters has, has a section of prayer for others. He just modeled this heart of prayer in who he was. But the reason I think his prayers are especially inspiring and encouraging is knowing his situation because he's praying for us and for Jesus' followers of all time from a prison cell. But not only that, in prison, he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day by the wrist. Can you imagine everything you would do, everything you would go through through the day, even going to sleep, you were chained to an actual guard in your cell. And he also is likely headed for an execution, and yet he spends time praying for us, for anyone who follows Jesus. I mean, would you blame him for just going through all of his own prayer concerns and all of his fears and anxieties? But yet he's got this tremendous heart for followers of Jesus and this desire for the gospel to be spread around the world. So Paul makes it very clear what his goal is as he writes this section of the letter. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in hearts. His goal for all of us, everyone who follows Jesus, is to be encouraged in heart. But to really get at the heart of what Paul is talking about, we have to 
look at these words and what they really mean. Because, you know, today when we talk about our heart, we often are talking about our emotions and our feelings. You know, we like to talk about having a broken heart, or we talk about listening to our hearts. But that's not what Paul is getting at here. He's not praying that Christians would have an extra emotional feeling about God. Now, in Paul's day, the heart was used to describe the very center of a person's being. It's kind of like when we talk about getting to the heart of the matter, to the very center of what's going on. And so God said in the Old Testament that he would write his law on the hearts of all people. And he didn't mean he's writing his law on our feelings. No, it means he's writing his law on every part of us down to the depths of our souls. And so Paul's desire is that we would be encouraged in heart, encouraged to the very depths of our soul. He wants every aspect of our life to be encouraged in the Lord. Now, we're so often fragmented in how we think about life. We like to, you know, kind of divvy things up and section it off. And, you know, maybe we have our spiritual life over here, but then we have our family life over here. And, and Paul is saying, no, you, you need to be encouraged in the Lord in every single aspect of your life, all of who you are. Because it's this powerful connection with God and his goodness and his grace that has the potential to transform our outlook and our entire life. But you know, isn't it true that it's hard to remain encouraged in this world today? I mean, if you read the newspaper this morning or you turned on the news, there are so many stories of just horrible discouragement there's so many reasons to live in fear and anxiety. And when we look for a solution to those feelings in this world, we're going to come up short. When we try to find that treasure that we need in places apart from God, it's never going to satisfy. And so Paul is saying his hope and his dream and his goal for us is that we would be encouraged to the depths of our soul in God and his good news. Now, to describe how this encouragement especially takes place, he goes on to say, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Love for one another is one half of the greatest commandment. Love is what knits us together as the body of Christ. It's what knits us together as human beings and unity without a commitment to love will not last. And we see this, unfortunately, all throughout history, whether it's countries or people groups or cultures that try to stay united but have no love for each other, they're ultimately destined for failure. And so in the same way in the church, we need to strive to be knit together in love for one another because ultimately that's how we will remain encouraged and connected to God and his will for us. Remember, Jesus said, they, the world, will know you are my followers by how well you love one another. Now, I think way too often, as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, we get the, the wrong idea about what the church 
should be focused on. We misinterpret the purpose for the church. We think of it more like membership at a club. You know, you might join a country club, you might join a health club, and then you join a church. And we have the same type of mentality. Well, I should get what I want the way I want it. You know, there's that old slogan, membership has its privileges. But you see, Paul is reminding us that the purpose of the church is that we are united in love, that it's a place that we can one another, one another. It's not just meant to be an individualistic experience on a Sunday morning for an hour or so. No, instead, it's something that should encompass all of who we are, that every one of us has been given a purpose. Every one of us has gifts and talents given by God that are to be used to build up the body. You see, oftentimes we talk about at Calvary that we want to be spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers. We all need to use our gifts and talents together to be the church that God calls us to be. The church is not a McDonald's or a Burger King where we can just get whatever we want and we can just satisfy ourselves and then move on. We can't be content to just gobble up resources and energy and time and not contribute anything back. Remember, in the end, you can't go to church because we together are the church. And the church doesn't exist for us. The church exists for the world. And so Paul wants to tell us, stop going to church and start being the church. There's all sorts of ways you can do this. You can join a small group if you're not already in one. You can get to know somebody new. You can invite someone to come and see You can step up and lead. You can become a Lenten mentor. The list goes on and on. Just take your next step. Don't sit back and just consume. You see, when we all rise up, when we all engage with our gifts and our talents, when we're united in love and we're encouraged in heart, then we can be the church that God calls us to be. And you see, when our hearts are encouraged, when we're united and knit together in love, then Paul tells us that even greater things will happen. Look at the next verse. He says, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, that might sound cryptic and confusing, You might wonder, I mean, are we on a secret quest? What is all this language about mysteries and and such like that? And Paul is saying that ultimately full and complete understanding leads only to one place. Remember that treasure map? The X that marks the spot is pointing us to Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of all that God has been working towards since the beginning of time. So as the people of the Old Testament heard prophecies and they heard messages from prophets and they encountered symbolism day after day, it was a mystery to them. They were wondering, what exactly is God getting at? What is his timeline? Who's coming again? Is this just about Elijah or another prophet or who's the Messiah going to be? 
But with Jesus coming into our world, we now have full knowledge and understanding. The mystery that was there for so long is solved. And Paul is reminding us, we already know the end of the story. We have already found the treasure. Look at what Paul says as he goes on. He says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It all points to him. X marks the spot. Now, becoming a follower of Jesus does not mean you have to check your brain at the door. What Paul is talking about here is that it's through Jesus that life begins to make sense. All of those questions, all of the mysteries, all of that starts to make sense when we look through the lens of Jesus. But I think oftentimes we fall into what C.S. Lewis and Dallas Willard call chronological snobbery. You know, we think, well, Jesus, you know, he was living in a primitive time thousands of years ago. He definitely didn't have an iPhone. He didn't have email. He never got a college degree. So, you know, he had some nice things to say, but he probably doesn't know much about our world today. And what C.S. Lewis and Dallas Willard would contend is that Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived. And you might say, well, you know, like, what was his IQ or how would he do on the, you know, SAT? What they're saying is that it's in him that all of the rest of life makes sense. That in him, wisdom and knowledge are found. True wisdom is found in Jesus. True knowledge is found in Jesus because he knows best how life is supposed to work. So now Paul says, put that all together. I mean, we've covered a lot already. But what he's trying to, to remind us of is that we are not able to get to know God in isolation. We can't get to know God fully just through study by ourselves. We can't become the people that God intends for us to be in isolation. Following Jesus is a group experience. We need each other. We need community. And that's because we can't love our neighbor as ourself in isolation. We can't do unto others as we would have them do unto us in isolation. We're called to practice and grow and strengthen our faith together. We are truly better together. So when we come together as a church body to study the word, to lift each other up, to support and encourage and learn and practice together, it's then that God makes it possible for us to experience the full riches of understanding and knowledge. And for, in, order this, in order for this to happen, we have to stay centered and focused on the treasure who is Jesus and Jesus alone. So Paul breaks it down to the basics in verse six. He says, so then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Now, we've talked about this before. We have this tendency sometimes to say, all right, I put my faith in Jesus. I got the date. I've got the time. I've checked it off the list. I'm good to go. 
But what Paul is reminding us of is that following Jesus is a lifelong growing experience. So you put your faith in Christ, you receive him as your Lord, but then continue to live your life in him. And I think there's a very important word there because oftentimes we get the focus a little bit wrong. And I know I've done this many times. We tell people, invite Jesus into your life. But you know what? Ultimately, Jesus doesn't want to be in your life because your life is a mess. Your life is out of control, and so is mine. We all need a drastic intervention. And so what Jesus is doing is calling us into his life. Continue to live your lives in him. And that is a life that is never boring or static or meaningless. Living in Christ is exhilarating because it's full of freedom and grace that can only be found in him. So Paul encourages us, live your life in him day by day by day, decision after decision after decision. You see, oftentimes I think we function this way. We imagine that there's an executive committee in our mind and in our heart. And we think, you know, if I invite Jesus into my life, I just give him one seat at the table. Like he gets one vote along with all the others. Now what Paul is saying is you have to fire the rest of the committee. Jesus gets every seat. He gets every vote. Live your life in him. And so you might say, well, what does this look like practically? And that's how Paul ends this passage in verse seven. He shows us four ways that we can live in Christ day after day. So look at the first way. He says, continue to live your lives in him, rooted in him. The first thing we need to do is be rooted in Jesus. We all know healthy trees and plants have to be rooted in healthy soil and receive nutrients to survive and grow. The roots help nourish the body, but they also help keep the tree or the plant safe during a storm. Every single person chooses to be rooted somewhere. We all try to find a place to be stable and secure in order to grow. And so some people try to be rooted in their career, and others try to be rooted in their achievements, and others by accumulating the biggest portfolio that they can. But it's by being rooted in Jesus that we find the most solid and secure and stable soil to grow up in. This means day after day surrendering to him, allowing him to have his way, opening up our hearts, trusting him to lead us in the best way. You see, the Christian life is about learning to live in Christ, not just for Christ. When we just focus on the four, then we fall short because we try to go it alone. But when we live in Christ, then we have access to all of his resources. It's then that we develop a healthy root system that helps keep us stable and secure towards the, during the storms and struggles of life. My encouragement, church, is don't face your next storm 
And the hard reality that we all know is that a storm is coming because we live in a broken, broken world. Don't face your next storm with a shallow root system. Don't plant your life in an unreliable and unsteady and unstable ground. Be rooted in Christ. Well, then next Paul says, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him. To the same end, Paul says, live your life built up in Jesus. Again, there's no end to the list of things that we might try to build our life on. But none of the things of this world will supply the solid foundation that we're looking for, like Jesus can. Nothing in this world, no foundation of this world is able to last for eternity, like Jesus can. We might find something that will kind of make us feel good for a number of decades, but there is no other foundation that will still be secure and lasting after we're in the ground. Jesus is the eternal foundation. Now in the Greek, what's being talked about here is in the present tense. And so it really is saying, keep on being built up. It's not just a once and done type of thing. Like you just build it quick and then you're good to go. No, this is an ongoing building process. And if any of you have done some home remodeling lately, you know what this is about. It never ends, right? It's this ongoing building process, being built up in our faith. It's not done overnight. Being built up in Jesus requires surrendering day by day to his plans and his construction. It's making him the contractor, allowing him to do the work in us that needs to be done. And again, the focus is living in him, not just living for him. Now, one of my very favorite places to visit on earth is New York City. My brother lives just a couple blocks off of Central Park. And so when we go visit him, we go walk in the park, and it's amazing to look around at all of the skyscrapers in Manhattan. And you know, Manhattan is perfectly situated to have all of those skyscrapers because there is solid bedrock down under the soil. But for some of those incredibly tall skyscrapers, they have to put pilings down under the soil 25 stories until they're able to build on the bedrock. And then when the winds and the storms come, they're secure. See, in much the same way, we need to build our lives on the solid bedrock of Jesus. We need to drill down beneath the surface to the strong foundation of him and his word. Number three, Paul says to live in Christ also means to be strengthened in the faith. And that's key there. It's not just be strengthened, it's strengthened in the faith. Now, this makes me think of Popeye. Now, I was very disheartened to learn at our run-through this week that most of our staff members under the age of 30 had no idea who Popeye was. But many of you remember, right? He was a cartoon, but also maybe the, the movie with Robin Williams where he was Popeye. Basically, the gist is Popeye is a sailor, and he's kind of a wimpy guy, and he gets picked on by his rival named Bluto. But when Popeye eats some spinach out of a can, suddenly he has superhuman strength. See, in the same way, on our own, we do not have the strength 
that we need. Real, lasting, and reliable strength comes from Jesus. And that comes through faith alone. You see, all that you need to win the battle of your everyday life is faith in Christ. Because he is the source of strength. All you need to unlock God's power in your life is to put your faith in him. Now notice, this is not contingent on us trying to flex and show our strength first. No, it means depending on him first. Allowing him to work in and through us first. He has the strength that we truly need. Be strengthened in the faith. And then number four, overflow with thankfulness. All right, allowing Jesus to have his way in our life, being rooted in him, built up in him, strengthened by him. Well, what's left? Just an overwhelming sense of thankfulness. Be thankful for what Jesus has already done. Be thankful for what he promises to do. In fact, you can start today thanking him for what he's going to do for you in the future because he always keeps his promises. Expressing your thanks now is actually an advanced show of faith. It means you're trusting in him and not your own abilities and your own problem-solving ability or your own summoning of strength. It means fully relying that he's going to come through, just like he promises to do. Now, we often ask this question, but how often do you take the time to simply reflect upon and be thankful for what he's done in the past? All the times that he's come through, all the times that he's gotten you to where you're at today. We all, I think, could benefit from taking some time to reflect on the past. But then how about the future? What about taking the time to think and to thank him for what he will do tomorrow and next month and next year? You know, let the gratitude that you have for the past fuel your thankfulness into the future because he is faithful and he always keeps his word. I mean, it's a great exercise of faith and I think it really helps fuel the Christian life. We're saved by grace through faith. And we live day by day through our faith. And Jesus will give us exactly what we need to take the next step and the next and the next. So church, we have the greatest and the most valuable treasure in the world, in Jesus himself. And so Paul tells us, Stay rooted in him. Be built up in him. Be strengthened in faith and overflow with thankfulness. Now, this is a treasure that should impact every part of our lives. But not only that, it's meant to be shared. You can't take the treasure map and stick it in a drawer. No, this is so good, you need to share it with others. So don't keep it to yourself. And don't make it just a minor part of your life. No, this is so good that every day in grace and freedom, we can live in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks 
for the incredible gift of your word, which has been handed down generation after generation. And specifically, God, we give you thanks for this letter written to the Colossian church, a letter to a specific group of people at a specific time, but with truth and goodness that still matters today. And so God, help us to take the truth of your word and apply it to our lives. God, you know how easily we try to build our lives and and try to be rooted in things of this world, things that are destined to fail. But God, help us to be rooted in Christ. Help us to be built up in him. Help us to be strengthened through our faith in him. God, we're so thankful in advance for what you're gonna do in and through us. God, I pray for every word that we speak every action that we undertake, every relationship that we engage in, every interaction that's coming, that we would be able to glorify you and point people towards you, the treasure that we have. And so God, have your way with our life. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.